and welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly on the 42.e. You know the drill at this stage, every week we bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, tactical insights and engaging conversation around the international and club scene. Our expert analysts will ask the hard questions and answer any you might have each Thursday. We'll also have a feature interview with some of the biggest names and most interesting characters in the game. And that feature interview today is Italy head coach Conor O'Shea, who sat down with our boy Murray Kinsler, who's over in Chicago. Uh, if you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit HeinekenRugbyClub.com for more. Remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie on how to do so. Uh, Gavin Casey here. I'm joined in studio in Ireland by Andy Dunn. Andy, how are things? Very well. Thanks, Gavin. And we are joined also uh, from Shot Town. Murray Kinsella is over in Chicago. Murray, you enjoying yourself? Yeah, having a great time. Um, got over to the Chicago Bulls there on Monday night. It was an interesting experience. Very um, in-your-face, non-stop uh, entertainment in, in all the timeouts and everything. But uh, saw the Golden State Warriors. They were pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, things are going great. A little bit different to two years ago here, but yeah, pretty cool city to, to be in for a test match. Yeah, the Warriors put on a show. Did you have your foam finger out? There was some interesting pictures circulating of, <laughs> of the internationals, the Ireland, Ireland guys. Big, big Bulls fans, by all accounts. Number one fans, all of them. Yeah, I was just talking to Jacob Stockdale and he's um, he said Bundyaki spent about 500 quid on merchandise. So I think he's the biggest <laughs> fan of the lot. Uh, Andrew Porter definitely enjoyed it as well. So um, it was Ty Byrne. He actually got on the court and he had to kind of spin around in a circle or around a broomstick and then run and try and actually score a two-pointer, but he actually missed. So he let, the, he let the lads down. And George Biaggi scored for Italy, which was kind of disappointing. Oh, that's a disaster. <laughs> I hope you got um, a full breakdown of the Golden Warrior stats, Murray. I presume you did and analysed them. Yeah, it was incredible. In fairness, like <laughs> I, I don't know my basketball that well, but it, they broke a couple of records. Um, obviously, the, the three pointers by Clay Thompson were incredible. But um, enjoyed seeing Steph Curry play. I wouldn't know much about the sport, but he, he's just an incredible athlete. Uh, it was interesting also the fact that they celebrate a lot of points before they even shoot. So like Steph Curry would make an assist. Um, and even as his teammate was shooting, he'd be celebrating and they'd often miss. But uh, <laughs> it's a very different culture, obviously. It reminded me of Simon Zebo a little bit. I think he'd get on pretty well <laughs> in, in the NBA. Disgusting scenes in the NBA, as per usual. Uh, before we get into the international side of things, um, just look ahead to what's coming up for the provinces. Tyler Blindell, uh, captain's monster in South Africa, obviously great to see him uh, sort of back involved. Uh, we've got Leinster bringing in three on cap players as well on their own trip and Ulster finally have a new CEO. We might start with that actually. Johnny Petrie has taken the reins there at Ulster. Obviously a, a former Scotland international and uh, captain Scotland as well. Um, I suppose one question I'd have really is what does a CEO do within a rugby club? Because obviously we, you know, you're familiar with uh, directors, rugby head coaches and things like that. Is this really, uh, he takes the reins on the sort of business side of things, Murray, or how does his role, um, or how does he operate within his role? Yeah, it's very very much a non-rugby role. Obviously, everything within a province is related to what happens on the pitch, but it's it's the important things like raising funds, getting sponsorship deals sorted, um, hiring people in kind of non-rugby roles as well. Um, and I think it was really important that also took the time and the RFU took the time to get this one right and um, obviously Shane Logan resigned during the summer after a pretty torrid time for the province really um, kind of on and off the pitch uh, and Petrie looks like a smart appointment as you mentioned he played for Glasgow and Scotland very experienced rugby player but really he's coming from Edinburgh where he seems to have done a, a really good job kind of stabilising that club and they're showing real improvement over the last couple of seasons so I think it was also good for Ulster to, to kind of dip outside and get a non-Ulster voice there's been I guess there's been a lot of change there really off the pitch as well as on it. You know, they've had like Johnny Davis, the S&C guy, he left over the summer. Gareth Robson, Robinson, the, the physio, was there for 18 years, he left. So a lot of change going on there. And I think Ulster probably looked to, to get those kind of outside voices and, and really push the, the whole kind of province on from what was a horrible experience last season. So, yeah, I think it's good they got this appointment sorted, but that they didn't rush it either. And, and Petrie looks like a, a well-qualified appointment. Absolutely. Uh, Tyler Blindell, like the proverbial new signing, I suppose. Uh, it'll be interesting, Andy, like from an outhouse perspective, long time out of the game. Now, clearly his, you know, large parts of his senior career have been blighted by injury as it was. He's come back from serious injury in the past. Like from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint, what are you thinking kind of going into this situation? Like, 
how conscious are you of those sort of ailments that have that have kept you out in a contact sport like rugby where you have every chance of aggravating an injury? Yeah, I think he's going to be very like hugely conscious of it going into such uh, it's it's so physically combative now that you can't escape it, and the the ten channel in particular is is uh, probably a heightened sense of physicality now. You if you don't step up to the plate early in a game, you're in for a pretty tired time. And it wasn't always the case. Tens could be hidden defensively and even not so long ago, I remember the likes of, of David Humphreys defending on the wing in an Irish game. You know, that that just doesn't really happen anymore for, for lots of reasons because teams will probably attack that with high balls as well. So he has got to kind of hit the ground running from a physicality point of view. And I have I have no doubt in my mind that's going to be a big psychological test for him. Um he no doubt he's he's gone into training and he's been through, you know, the mill in terms of physicality, but you can't quite replicate game intensity and yeah, there'll be there'll be a few demons and doubts in his mind and I think once he gets through a couple of heavy hits and knocks and stands up and shakes it off, he'll probably feel a bit more ironically he'll probably feel a bit more normal again. Yeah. Um so it's it's fair play to him, I have to say it's such a tough period in a professional sporting career when you go eight, nine, ten months, uh, you know, in the shadows and you train on your own and, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a real sense of isolation at times and there's a sense of desolation for guys and they're, they're considering their career and their futures. So it's, uh, it's a really worthwhile achievement to climb your way back. He's had rough times and I, I wish him the very best now this weekend. Yeah, Murray, an interesting sort of situation for Blind Al in that like Munster couldn't be accused of, of moving on from him necessarily because they have shown him great loyalty and just the efforts they've put in medically and whatnot in getting him back onto the pitch. But, you know, in his absence, they've also signed, to borrow the American term, a, a kind of a, a franchise 10 um, in Joey Carberry, who's going to be very difficult to displace, uh, particularly in big European games like what does the future hold for Blind Dal at Munster? Is it just, he, he obviously has to try and wrestle that position back from Carberry, but, you know, do you see him lasting there for a couple of years, even if he can remain fit? Or for a player of his calibre, you know, could could he potentially look to move abroad again and, and maybe get a starting berth somewhere? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see if he comes back at 10 or, or possibly at a, a inside centre. He came on there for the Munster A team against Leinster. I was there a couple of weekends ago watching that fixture, his comeback. And and, and as Andy said there, he, he certainly was hesitant around contact, understandably so. He was actually standing out on the wing in, in defence and kind of staying on the edge. Uh, so that will take a bit of time to get back. But he, it was interesting to see him come on in, in the kind of 12 role. Hmm. And he certainly has the attributes, I guess, when he's fully fit to do that. Like if you think about Blaindal, he's almost part of the furniture there now, but he's only had essentially one campaign uh, and it was a really impressive one. 2016-17, a lot of people will kind of understandably focus on that Saracen semi-final when Munster really were totally outclassed across the pitch, I thought. Obviously, it wasn't Blaindal's best game, but if you think about that entire season before that, he had some really superb performances. Like they beat Glasgow, they beat Leicester, they beat Racing, hammered to lose in the quarterfinal and he was excellent all that way, obviously guiding them into a Pro 14 final as well. I know from being in New Zealand, he's really highly regarded as a kind of rugby brain down there. And that's a kind of important role he plays with Munster. He's kind of a tactical thinker and strategist and he helps a lot in that department. He's in the leadership group. Um, And as you say, they've stuck by him. Like Anthony Foley couldn't have been more praising of this guy. He said he's a a, a brilliant person as well as as player. So I think there's a lot more to see from him. It's easy to forget that he was in Ireland camp as recently as August 2017 as well. And Mm. Joe Schmidt is obviously no fool when it comes to a player. So I wouldn't just... I wouldn't be discounting him just yet. I think it's a massive boost for him to have him back available. And I think it'll be interesting to see potentially if he's viewed as a 12, a kind of playmaking inside centre moving forward. I think Munster are going to try damn hard to hold on to him for for just for strength and depth. I do I do think Joey is their, their marquee man. And I, I think he's going to stay there and deservedly so. But when you look at um, the, the, the overall course of a season and what, for example, is happening exactly in the next three weeks. If Blaindale doesn't happen to be promoted to an Irish squad, he's of massive value to the Munster group. I think the, um, I suppose looking at that that second distributor option as a 12 um, it is a trend in the game that has developed over the last three to four years that a lot of teams have opted for. Probably most notably, I can think, is the the George Ford and uh, Far- Owen Farrell 
axis and it, it really gives a whole different dimension to how you approach a game and the shape for a team and, and how you can be a bit more expansive if needs be. It doesn't mean you, you can't crash it up either. Um, so it might be an alternative option for, for the style of play Munster want to use. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like R- Rory Scannell is along similar lines there in yeah. the club channel and, and you kind of have, uh, yeah. granted, like he's a left-footed player. And but I actually, to do Rory... Uh, uh, I hope I didn't do him a disservice. I think he adds a huge amount of value because he has the left foot. Um, when oh, yeah, when yeah. you've got the right foot, left foot combination, it's it's a huge help for mm. a 10 as well, you know. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see where, where Blind Off figures um, into Monster's plans. Uh, just very briefly as well, uh, three players uh, involved with Leinster Murray that haven't uh, been involved at senior level before. So a big opportunity for them uh, as we go into an international weekend. Yeah, it remains to be seen how involved they are on the pitch, but obviously a sign of their potential going to South Africa. Uh, Ronan Kelleher, the hooker, he's the younger brother of Keane, who's now in Connacht. Um, He's a hooker, obviously, so different position, but similarly dynamic, very powerful guy, uh, good thrower in the line-out and has good uh, kind of footwork and handling as well. Quite a rounded player, probably has to learn at scrum time, as every young hooker does, but he's definitely one to watch. Jimmy O'Brien, the the centre, is a guy I really rate. He was with the Ireland Sevens last season and and was excellent in their kind of breakout campaign. I remember watching him for Newbridge College uh, a couple of years ago and, and you could clearly see the intelligence the kind of decision making he had and possessed and obviously if you're playing sevens you're quite an athlete as well so I think that's a boost for the sevens programme as well to see a guy go back in and, and kind of come through in 15s as well and the third guy Scott Penny uh, St Michael's got a product again they're churning out these players um, he's played Ireland 19s he's still in year one of the academy but he's really tough he's really abrasive um, and he scored a lot of tries for Leinster in, in that Celtic Cup seems to be pretty good at the back of the mall kind of taking advantage of of the, the work in front of him but definitely one to watch and it just it just sums up where Leinster are you know they go away to South Africa bring more bring through three more players as well the production line just keeps rolling on Well, there is a reason why Murray Kinsel is in Chicago. Big game this weekend. A test against Italy. Not a friendly. But uh, yeah, look, it's an exciting Ireland team, Murray. Wondering what your interpretation of it is. Uh, first start for Tyke Byrne, which is great for him. Exciting backline. Uh, interesting halfback combination. Your thoughts? Yeah, that halfback combination is is really exciting, I think, for Ireland. It's been the area where they've probably needed to grow the depth most pressingly. They've done so in every other area of the pitch. But with Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray at home, uh, Carberry and Luke McGrath get, get a really good opportunity. They've played together, I think, seven times for Leinster and won five of those games. So they have that bit of familiarity um, and that cohesion, which will help a lot in, in guiding the team around the pitch in what is a, a massive occasion for both of them. Um, Carberry obviously is strung together six starts in consecutive games for Munster as well as those two sub appearances and he looks like he's pushing on to another level even in terms of his confidence Luke McGrath obviously didn't tour in June in Australia he kind of had that trouble with the ankle towards the end of last season but he he had had a brilliant campaign and uh, was certainly deserving of a place with Ireland I know he had maybe a dip uh, uncharacteristic mistakes maybe in, in Toulouse a couple of times but he's he's been very consistent like his support running off the ball is um is really exceptional and you're seeing loads of scrum halves actually get get loads of tries now with those trail runs it's a really important role in in attack he's done that well his box kicking has improved the consistency of his pass has improved Um, and I'm excited to see how the two of them go also another guy who's getting his first start for Ireland it seems kind of weird because Jordan Armour it feels like he's been around for ages now and and he's been involved in a grand slam and played in a couple of positions off the bench now he gets his start at 15 and again he probably showed in Toulouse that there's little bits where he's still learning and, and picking his timing to, to go on a kick return or, or a counter-attack. Um, but he is just so exciting on the ball and his footwork gives them just a slightly different dimension, I, I think, in attack, certainly on that kick return, um, where they probably need to improve. We'll probably come back to that a little bit later. Um, but everywhere through the team, you mentioned High Burn, like he's only got two caps. Um, but if you look at provincial level, he's one of the best players in Europe. So getting his skill set mm-hmm. in terms of that turnover, the the ball handling as well, uh, and pushing that onto another level and, and giving Joe Schmidt yet another really strong option in the second row is, is very exciting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to see which of these players um, in a, quite an experimental team p- put their hand up uh, for, for bigger tests moving forward. Yeah, Andy, what can we actually expect from this Ireland team as it's lined out there in front of us? You know, it's obviously very different to a full strength team and, and the, the, the team that we grew accustomed to watching uh, over the course of the Six Nations. Are there any players that you kind of would consider likely to put their hands up for kind of selection in that full team when we get to the bigger tests later on in, in November? 
Um, yeah, well, I would I would have thought uh, Stockdale on the back of last season is uh, a likely candidate. I mm. think Ty Byrne is going to push hard for a starting place. Um, I I watched Bundyaki very closely last week in the Ospreys game, and I just thought, uh, I mean, this we mentioned exciting quite a lot there, and it, it is a really exciting young backline. But um, and although he's not the oldest, he's probably he's probably the guy who'll bring the most leadership into that backline group. There was, a, his body language in the Ospreys was amazing. I watched um, off the ball what he was doing, you know, when play broke down, when play stopped. He was literally rallying two to three guys at all times. I mean, they were they were being well beaten. They were, they were 13, 14 points down at one stage and playing poorly. But at no stage was he... Um, you know, head down, quiet. He was. He seemed very, very targeted about how they were getting Connacht back into this game. And albeit, I can't uh, point to any technical aspect of the game where I went. He impressed me, but it was just what he did off the ball for that eighty-minute period. And and I watched himself and Carty drive Connacht back. Um, almost to the brink and Carty obviously had that missed drop goal late on and Ospreys went the other end and scored but I was really impressed by how Aki displayed leadership there in a difficult situation I think uh, I, I don't expect he's coming into the exact same situation um, over in Soldier Field I think we've a much stronger side in personnel but I do think that younger group around him will benefit from a guy who's got an attitude like him uh, out on in an international match day, nothing fear, makes him scared. As well, you know, some of the guys might be a bit more nervous. The likes of Larmer, Luke, even even Joey. That you know, there's a lot of lot of attention on them. Um, but a guy like Aki might put an arm around them and help them through the game. And I think that's something that we could gloss over. But I think there's a reason Joe Joe's put him in there among those youngsters, effectively. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And the thing as well, just in the centres, like they're really fighting for places. Yeah. Himself and Gary Ringrose. One of them is probably going to re- like go out of the team next week for Argentina. Robbie Henshaw comes back in. Then where does it go for All Blacks? Even looking forward, you've got Chris Farrell to come back from injury. Obviously, Stuart McCloskey is an option. There's just there's loads of depth there, and and particularly in Henshaw and Ringrose and Aki, the guys that were probably those mm. frontline options, it's hard to pick out that pairing there. And I think it applies across the team, like the back row, Roddick, Van der Fleer, Conan. Even in a frontline test, that's a pretty good back row. And mm. uh, Sean O'Brien's obviously back fit. He's at home in Ireland. Um, Tommy O'Donnell, very unfortunate. But there are really good um, depth kind of depth charts for Joe Schmidt in a number of positions. Mm. And, and this test, although maybe you could view it as oh, it's a kind of second tier test. It really is important for so many individuals because they w- just won't get the opportunities. There's only 12 tests after this before the World Cup and you, you just got to take every single one of them. I think it's interesting to see Nog Scannell get another start at hooker as well. Uh, a guy who's brilliant around the, the set piece and Sean Cronin's probably frustrated not to get another uh, chance again, sorry, in the starting team. So uh, Rory Best remains the front line option there, but Scannell's a guy who could even put pressure on Best. I know he's the captain and uh, he's favoured to lead them into the World Cup, but but Scannell has been really impressive at the start of the season and um, he'll be excited to kind of build on his really good Australia tour. So across the team, there are um, big uh, windows for guys to to make statements. Yeah, no, Scannell right on the coattails now at this stage, really. Uh, just to touch upon Italy briefly, because like they were... They're in a very similar boat in many ways. Like it, they have named quite an experimental uh, team, uh, named it very early as well. Uh, you know, we'll hear obviously from uh, Conor O'Shea in a little bit, actually very shortly. But um, Murray, what are your thoughts on on what Italy are trying to do? Not just maybe in this test, but uh, across November. Yeah, they're trying to build their depth as well. You you will hear Conor O'Shea talking about some of the guys he's excited about. Lucas Brandio at fullback is a very um, exciting option, and, and there's a couple of guys in the in the back row as well. Johan Mayer is making his debut. Jamie Rowley is a really exciting number eight as well. We probably don't know these players as well, um, but, but there is a lot of quality there. I think the big project for O'Shea, almost like with Joe Schmidt since the last World Cup, is, is just adding to that depth, and this gives them an opportunity to do so. Um, I think they'll know they're pretty firm underdogs, but there is a lot of quality and those centres even there's experience there Campanaro captaining Luca Marisi back after three years out of the picture as well um, so yeah there's a, there's a nice blend there um, and I think there's reason for O'Shea to be excited that he is starting to see some of that depth come from Benetton and Zebra Yeah well we might as well uh, hear what the man himself Conor O'Shea had to say uh, when he sat down with yourself Murray earlier on this evening We were speaking to Ian the other day he's talking about having taken things away from that Six Nations game the last time from Ireland I guess you learn every time you play them but what were the things 
in, in that most recent encounter? Um, I think, listen, we're, the two games, I feel we've been incredibly competitive and you look at you look behind some of the results, but you look at some of the performances, uh, the only team we haven't been competitive against uh, is, has been Ireland and we haven't fired a shot. And from the very first moment of that game, I think, you know, I, I debriefed the following, the Monday afterwards, I, I sat down with Joe in a coffee shop in, in Dublin and uh, we sat and went through the game together because um, okay. I wanted to learn what they were seeing in us as much as the other way around. And we allowed Ireland to set a tempo in the game from the very start. That didn't relate to scoring at the very start in that opening 10 minutes, but it, it's, it was a mindset that we allowed them get uh, and have. Uh, the other side of the coin, fitness-wise, not going to be an issue uh, because, you know, the last 30 minutes are pretty nondescript, but it was a 19-14 to us. Now, that's Ireland taking their foot off the pedal, but also you could say that an Italian team in the past wouldn't have had the same levels of fitness. So, no, we haven't fired a shot against Ireland uh, in the two games that uh, you know I've been involved in, and we want to fire a few shots this week. And we feel over these last couple of years that, especially in the last 12 months, that you can suddenly begin to see a lot of the underage players. You can see a lot of the better performances from the franchises. You can see a depth in terms of competition within the squad, uh, which, you know, if you had a magic wand and a million pounds, you could you could change overnight. But it's been a process. And uh, I've said to the fellas just this week, we're, we're so close to not just being competitive, but actually, uh, you know, turning over teams and uh, every game is an opportunity to do that so but we are also a very realistic group it's against the second best team in the world they made their changes like we've made our changes uh, but the strength and depth of Irish rugby is just phenomenal yeah you mentioned sitting down with Joe there and, and reviewing which is really interesting in the build up to a game like this is there a bit of chatting between you guys I know no. it's a very <laughs> no it's a different it's always all right <laughs> okay. after a game and now I, I think I, I'm always trying, trying to learn whether it's Wayne Smith coming in uh, with us for a couple of weeks in Japan, which was been invaluable, and he was there in Verona last week with this group, um, and he'll join us for some of the World Cup preparation. Uh, just sitting down and talking to people, uh, you know, it's uh, you learn the whole time, and uh, there's no doubt that Joe is the, he's the best there is in the business. Um, uh, you know, he's he's just what he has done and achieved with Irish rugby over the the few years is incredible. Uh, his commitment to it and uh, his family's commitment to, to Ireland has been, you know, incredible. So uh, he'll be, if he decides to move on, uh, a pretty difficult person to replace. But uh, I'd, I'd say he's got a few goals left for the next year before he makes that decision. Yeah. Anytime I've heard Wayne Smith speak, it's been deeply impressive. I can only imagine it's more so behind closed doors. What kind of things did you take from that or what did you want to get out of Wayne being involved? Uh, a, a bit of it, like he, he, he's incredibly... Uh, an unbelievable personality. Uh, terrible to say that you feel like you know nothing about rugby once you sat down and talked to him. Uh, <laughs> I know they call Joe Mr. Rugby, but Wayne is uh, just unbelievable. Like two World Cups as a coach is a, is pretty phenomenal. Uh, I knew he talked to everybody. I wanted him to talk to everyone, uh, different ways of learning, different ways of coaching, teaching. Um, but one of the areas that we've asked him to focus on is an area that we feel when we do understand it, and it's a, it's a real journey to understand it, is not a, not backing up bad moments uh, and they have a phrase or he has a phrase called you know a high frustration tolerance uh, and you could argue that we make it an intolerance you know that we have to learn to get back on task every team has bad moments and that's what I've been trying to say to if you look at our matches over the last uh, 12 months and um, you look at tipping points in matches once we understand there are five or six key moments that will change the energy of a game completely, mm. completely. And once we learn that, uh, there are going to be five or six. They're not all going to go your way, but you have to get back on. And that could be anything from yellow cards to referee decisions to uh, a missed tackle to, to you name it, uh, as long as you don't back up those errors. And I think it's one of the big learnings, you know, as we we're never going to say that we're going to be, you know, the world champions in a year's time, but the whole growth of Italian rugby you know, we've seen so many things we've done right and well. And I know people take their stick and, you know, they can beat us over the head if they want, because if they want results, they can, you know, that's the world we live in. It's an immediate world. But yeah. uh, we're pretty realistic. And now we feel we've got real growth. We've got an energy because we feel we're going somewhere. But uh, when things go against us, we can't allow that to derail us. And that was one of the, the focus points that we asked for, because Wayne saw it in Japan uh, uh, firsthand. Uh, he's flu speaks fluent Italian yeah. uh, because he's coached and worked there. So you know, in terms of getting the message across very easily, uh, that was that was pretty much straight off. Um, and 
you know, hopefully just the little trigger points that we've talked about will will just resonate and, and be another step forward for us. That's all you do. Every step is a step forward. Yeah, I think people are seeing quite clearly now Benetton and Zebra making those strides, even in terms of wins, all, all those things are, are standing out. You spoke at the start about not working in silos anymore. How far on is that process now behind the scenes? Uh, it's huge. I mean, we've taken over Zebra. Uh, Michael's done an unbelievable job there because the resources we still, uh, you know, I talk about this magic wand. If you had a few million pounds, you could solve a lot of other problems that we have straight away. Yeah. Um, but we already know the squad that we wanted Zebra for next year. Uh, we know that the added depth, we also know the competition, the age profile, you know, it'll just get stronger and stronger and stronger. But it's not strong enough in terms of the, the depth this year. But you still see some of the performances, whether it be the, you know, coming back from 13 nil down against Edinburgh, you know, last Friday night and winning 36-13. But again, when we talked about it when the boys arrived into camp, 13 nil, Simon Hickey misses a kick to put them 16 nil up uh, for Edinburgh. And instead he misses, Carlo Canna gets a kick, it's 13-3 and the game changed. And mm. I actually turned to Caddy when Simon Hickey missed it, um, we were watching the game with my cat and I turned to him and I said, there's a turning point if, we, if, if Zebra sees this because yeah. you could feel it was just a, a sitter of a kick missed. And it's how you react if you just stay in the fight. Uh, but it could tip the other way and you could end up at the end of a 30-pointer if, if, if Hickey gets that. And you have to understand key moments in matches and they're all there and you work bloody hard for those moments and I think that's where we're looking at now we're just saying okay you look at the key moment yes they're, they're you know at the very highest level they're not going for us at the moment but uh, we are getting to the stage where we're, we're able to pinpoint those momentum shifters in matches um, and uh, you know against the number two side in the world that's a it's a tough ask but we're not we're not going out we're competitive people so we'll dream the dream before we go out in any match and any pitch and, and see what comes yeah the the team you've named is possibly less familiar to people in ireland in terms of the players but what excites you about the the selection you got there oh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a balance of uh, experience in there you know i i think if you sat down with the uh you know jacques brunel or or before and italian people long before three four years ago uh Michele Campagnaro and Luca Marisi were the future of European rugby and Italian rugby. Yeah. Uh, and Luca has come back after horrendous, horrendous run of injuries, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, a ruptured spleen against Fiji in, you know, when it, when it, through a bad tackle, through, uh, you know, a knee that, you know, f you know fell apart and, uh, you know, that was totally disintegrated. So, and to see him back and playing the way he is, uh, that's really exciting. Uh, and to have him campo outside of him, who missed all of last year. So you, you, we can point to the Manazzis and Padovanis and, uh, you know, Imbandas and Lakatas and all these people that we're missing. But everyone does. Leo Sarto, Angel Esposito on his way back. Um, you know, to see those two back in the midfield with Carlo pulling the strings um, is going to be exciting for anyone coming along to watch the game. So that's experience. Um, you know, Joseph Zalocki and uh, coming off the bench for impact, Tizano Pasquale had, you know, beside us, played brilliantly, you know, over in the test matches in Japan, you know, as a starting tight head. So uh, we've got guys who are growing the whole time. And um, these are environments where you learn a lot about people. And if we stand off and if we wait, as we learned in Dublin, uh, we won't see the ball. Ireland just keep the ball. Yeah. Um, so we want to keep the ball, hold the ball, and we feel that we've got some bullets that we can uh, fire ourselves. Um, yeah. And I think anyone who's watched us realise now we're creating opportunities. Will that be hard against the number two? Well, we'll go out to do it because we have to go out with the mindset to win matches. If we go out to be defensive, if we go out to uh, not play, not to impose ourselves, well, just pack up. Yeah, I guess just to wrap up, obviously Ireland's focus right now, but it is a busy schedule over the next few weeks. How important is that Georgia match on the the other two big tests? Uh, the, the whole world, you know, the whole world, the rugby world will be looking at the Georgia game. For us, it'll be just focus on on the on the performance and the result will happen. But go out to win the matches, go out to win, and not just to go out and defend to to try and eke out the points. We will go out with the mindset to score points, to score tries, and see where that takes us. And uh, it's exciting we're playing Australia and New Zealand after that and then you go into the Six Nations you think uh, Scotland away Wales at home Ireland at home uh, you know England away France at home always easy um, <laughs> but we will the only way we'll get I said if we're a boxing heavyweight and we want to play against Belgium the whole time and get a great win-loss ratio fabulous but we're not we play at the highest level we learn at the highest level 
it's good that we've beaten Japan and Fiji over the last calendar year. Hopefully we'll do the same with Georgia and then we have to move up not just to the teams around us, we have to start beating the teams above us and uh, get, get ourselves back into that top 10 in the world and start working. And with the age profile of this team, you can only be excited, but I, I'm not about the future now, I'm about today because people, it's the world we live in. You're judging the results, I don't care about that. Uh, we were here to do a specific job. We feel we're doing what's right for Italian rugby. And I want these young guys to go out on Saturday and against a young Irish team as well. Um, you know, see what we can do. Best luck. Cheers, Cheers for talking to us. Great stuff from Conor O'Shea. And we look forward to uh, that one on Saturday at Soldier Field. Uh, a couple of other tests going on some big ones some not so big but we'll start with England and the Springboks uh, Mike Brown has been thrown in the scrap heap I think he's uh, he'll have to be a doubt now for the World Cup uh, having sort of um, been omitted for the first time in the Eddie Jones era and yet you see Chris Ashton who who, who might figure after four years out uh, Murray like a couple of epic battles between these teams in the summer um, you know, wh- who do you fancy in that one? And I-, I suppose, if you don't mind, where do each of them stand? Because obviously, South Africa made significant progress um, I- against England. Uh, you know, they had a, f- a famous victory over New Zealand as well. England have maybe come through their uh, one of their roughest patches in a while. But um, yet, you you feel as though a bad result here and. You never know. Like teams aren't never teams are never that far away from a crisis at this level. Yeah, I think they're both in very different places in their journey to the World Cup than maybe Ireland are. Ireland have done their experimentation. I think Joe Schmidt will have a pretty good idea of probably thirty of his World Cup squad at this stage, and there's maybe a little bit of wiggle room. Whereas South Africa and England are still mixing things up. Like it has been very positive under Razi Erasmus in South Africa. They've it kind of unearthed a couple of new stars in Janchi, who's absolutely sensational out wide, um, and Willemsa is getting a chance uh, this weekend. So there's some really good work being doing there, and it seems very positive. England on the other side, probably um, on the back foot. I think it's really interesting. I'd love to hear what Andy thinks about about Owen Farrell going into 10. Like, there's been those calls for quite a while, and he's so good there for Saris. Obviously, they've gone with the Ford 10, 12 axis with, with Farrell before, but now he's in a 10. Andy, do you think that? is going to suit his personality, his skill set to to finally be the one kind of directing that ship. Yeah, I get the sense Farrell wants that. I think he wants to be given a, he, the leadership role. I think he's a front runner. He's not a, a chaser. I think he wants to be uh, crowned and ordained as their lead 10. He wants to be given a season to run to run it and to shape it like he wants. He's he's a very demonstrative guy. He's a he's a natural leader. He's verbal. He's uh, himself and Sexton have a lot of, you know, character traits that are very, very similar. Huge drive, huge physicality, brilliant place kickers. Um, I, I think he's a, he's more comfortable in that role because he's a greater input to the overall direction of the team. And um, I agree with it. I think it's the right choice. And I think they need to stick with it now. I think England have got a little bit lost in the last... 12 to 18 months after an incredible start under Jones I think is I know we we uh, we knocked them off the perch in terms of that record but I think I think at one stage he'd, he'd won loss in 22 was it or in 23 which again was it was a huge start overall apart from us beating them in, in that Grand Slam game in, in, in Aviva but I do think he, he now needs to settle on that Jones as a coach and for the benefit of the group overall uh, for it Obviously, has brought a lot of value at times, but for me, uh, Farrell's their number one front runner, and he's, they got to stick with him. Yeah, I think it's interesting to have Manu Tuilagi back in the frame as well. He's obviously on the bench for for this game, but he's back in the picture. And you saw against Ulster for Leicester a, a couple of weekends ago in the Heineken Champions Cup, just how exceptional and how effective a centre is when he's fit, when he's had a, a bit of a run of games. He was really good in that game. It wasn't too flashy. It was simple, like picked really good lines off forward and, and did a lot of damage um, w- with ball in hand. Uh, I think he's grown every time he's played this season um, and I think just having him back in the frame like he's just built for test rugby mm-hmm. and he's an absolute nightmare to defend against I know Addison probably slipped off him once in that game just the, the sheer power through contact but having him back in the frame I think it, it is massive for England as well He was an explosive kind of force in that famous game that England uh, won against the All Blacks under mm-hmm. Lancaster and very few guys who 
uh, go into any All Blacks test and cause such problems in terms of their physicality and their ability to, to offload and be explosive in contact. You usually match the All Blacks in those collisions at best. You're, you're very rarely uh, winning them on, and you're certainly even more rarely re- winning them on regular occasions in an 80-minute period. He was absolutely dominant in that game and was one of the driving forces in that England uh victory that day so he he's a huge talent in my view he's 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 your modern day prototype center he can he has all the skills he's he's he is elusive he's not just you know running through brick walls he's he's evasive he's good handoff great offload he's not recognized for for being a really you know um classy distributor but he can pass uh, and, and pass reasonably well so yeah i he he's gonna add massive value provided he stays fit. Uh, Andy, you'll know from from being in that sort of team environment, but where England would have been preparing the same as all top-tier nations to actually, you know, challenge for the World Cup and suddenly, you know, two years out, 18 months out, a couple of defeats, uh, a bad run of form takes a span into your plans and suddenly you're kind of staring into a November series. You've got a year left of the World Cup. You're not where you want to be. We've seen in the past, like, even when you think of... The Ireland team that won the Grand Slam in 2009, they turned things around very quickly after a rotten run of form. Mm. How much would panic be setting in among a coaching staff at this point? And how much would, or, or how much would they sort of, I suppose, have faith in themselves to turn it around very quickly? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, I tell you what I don't like about what the, the, the decision I've seen recently with the, the England management. Um, they're bringing Will Carling back yeah. as, as, a, as a kind of a leadership coach for the leadership group. So I, I suppose if you, like, would we bring Woody back in to talk to our senior players right now or would we feel our senior players are competent enough um, to run our game? And, and judging on how we played last year, I would imagine the senior players would take that a small bit of a slight uh, with all due respect to Woody. Um, bringing Will Carling back in because, as Eddie Jones said, he's not English and he can't, he can't instill a pride in being English in his group because he's not English. They're strange comments. And um, bringing back the chariots and bringing back Will to talk about the glory days. Like, he's a controversial enough character himself. He's 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 mouthy enough on social media. And it just, you know, you'd wonder about, like, where is the spine and the leadership in that English group? They're not quite sure. And it's it couldn't be typified more. We're bringing a guy, you know, effectively a guy who was a superb captain and run, won Grand Slams and bought them to a World Cup final. But it was 28 years ago. And uh, it just seems, it's just a, it's kind of way out of left field for me. Um, their leadership is, is one of the key points for them. And it's let them down, you know, over in Aviva in that Grand Slam game. Um, it was kind of absent last year for most of the Six Nations uh, and I'm not so sure bringing an external guy in to coach them to be better captains 12 months before World Cup or better leaders is going to work. So they're panicking Murray are they? <laughs> yeah it looks that way a little bit doesn't it? Um, yeah I'd actually agree with what Andy says I was absolutely shocked when I saw the, the headline over here that, that he was coming in um, I don't really see what value as, is, as Andy says um he's going to add, in, especially in a short time frame. They've kind of had those, they all feel like kind of stopgap solutions. It feels like they're just reacting to everything. John Mitchell comes in, didn't feel like that was planned. He's lost staff um, in a couple of different departments as well. And like, I, I, I don't have, I'm certainly not going to ride England enough. I think the quality player they have means they're definitely going to be major contenders for the World Cup. But I am certainly wouldn't be enviable of the position they're in at the moment. Yeah, I'm going to write them off. But on to New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> you know, like they're playing over in Japan, the All Blacks, and we will obviously get into um, the All Blacks in due course. But a little bit of, of talk over there that uh, there's some, been some mentions of, of maybe devaluing the famous jersey. They've got eight new caps uh, in that squad in Japan. And yet, you know, Steve Hansen, we heard during the week mentioning how... Uh, the IRFU get it right when it comes to player welfare, but the players kind of need a break uh, with the sort of hectic schedule that they have at the moment. Very interesting to hear somebody from within the New Zealand rugby setup admit that somebody else is doing any aspect of the game better than them, you know, and, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what's his agenda here? Getting his excuses in early for a, an inevitable defeat in November, but in all seriousness, I, I think he was, uh, I think he was being quite sincere. What, what's your take on Murray? Like, um, 
what they're doing in in japan is it even that big of a deal like to us it's probably not because it if you're ever going to experiment a, a test in japan is probably the time right yeah well I, I think there's an interesting kind of bigger picture in this like they're, they're handing out eight caps and the rest of their squad is already gone up north kind of for the England and Ireland matches um, and you kind of we, we, we kind of joke about that friendly tag you mentioned at the start but it probably does feed into people who make those arguments even this Ireland-Italy test where they haven't sent their frontline players I was over in the USA team hotel during the week and they've got a, a kind of raft of players who haven't been able to be released under that Reg 9 there with their clubs in England as well so you've, ha- you've seen this kind of development towards the extra November fixture being put in front of the traditional three um, and while it does allow guys to get opportunities which is which is brilliant for the kind of aforementioned, uh, aforementioned depth and building your squad that way it definitely does probably slightly slightly devalue the the status of the test matches and it feeds into those people who would have arguments about whether it's actually a test match or whether it's a friendly um, I think the criticism is fair like I, I won't have an issue I'll watch New Zealand play Japan and I'll be interested to see how those younger guys and, and new guys go and um, but it is it is an interesting development that we've got to the point where one of the four November tests is pretty much seen as a, a kind of throwaway fixture almost. So a question to both of you. I'll start with uh, yourself, Andy. What do Ireland need to do to get better as a team over November? I think we need to uh, demonstrate that we can score in a more efficient way. Uh, we we score in a way that's physically belligerent and breaks teams down um, over extended periods of time, multiple phases. Um, and I think it's very physically wearing. It means we're, it does mean we're a superb side and it means we're very, very difficult to play against and it means we're very physically combative. But we, we're going into a World Cup next year with Scotland as our first game, which is a horrible banana skin opener. We've got a very huge Russian team, physically huge Samoan team, uh, a host nation. And if we keep playing that way in a short period of time, and we've got great strength and depth, we've, we've, we're have we def- we're definitely going to have 30 very good players there. Um, you could argue we're going to need 40, 45 players because it's so physically demanding on the guys in a short period of time. So it's brought us great success. Uh, I can't really be critical of it because we've it's brought us great success. I would be concerned that we're not scoring in a more economic way, as in slice a team open, score within two phases every once in a while. We did it in Twickenham off the line out with a brilliant set piece play, um, but I'd like to see it happen more often, more regularly, if possible. That's kind of your 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 in dream world, maybe you know, really adding icing to the to the cake. But I do think if 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 we've if we're as physically belligerent as we have been in recent years, uh, it's going to take its toll at some stage. Murray, same question to you. What do Ireland need to do to get better as a team um, as we enter a World Cup year? Yeah, I think Andy's point about finding different ways to score is really relevant. Like Ireland, the kind of phrase transition is massive in rugby now, that kind of turnover, possession, the kick return, when you're going from defence to attack. Um, And Ireland don't really have a developed game in that department uh, on the pitch. I mean, you look at their scores last year, I think they only had one try that came from a, a kick return platform. So they just don't generate opportunities in that in that area. Often they're looking back to run back, basically to set up a ruck, allow their forwards to retreat, and then you've got a, a reference point to go from and go into your phase play from there. I think that's why it's interesting that Jordan Armour is at 15 because he changes what you can do in returning those kicks and on turnover possession when it's, broken up, there's defenders maybe not as organised as they'd like to be um, and he can pick off a, a tight forward that he identifies in the middle of the pitch or a lazy chaser or someone just kind of biting in off their wing when they're they're chasing a, a kick downfield. So he could potentially be the key to slightly unlocking that area of, mm. of Ireland's game. I also think it's going to be interesting to see how James Ryan and Tyg Byrne continue to develop as ball carrying forwards. You've seen Ryan this season like I don't know if there's a better ca- ball carrier off nine at the moment and often it's not even footwork he just times his run onto the ball so well around the corner that he almost takes the defender by surprise gets a soft shoulder now you're seeing him start to offload out of those tackles because he can get the hands free he's also playing those little one-twos with Jamison Gibson Park you've seen it a couple of times he's done it with Luke McGrath as well just having the confidence in his ball handling ability and I think Byrne has similar skill set there as well so like Dev Toner is probably underrated in that area he's he's passed well but those guys are j- just feel like a more natural fit in that and you know there's subtle little tweaks that can suddenly unlock a defence on the third or fourth phase when you you might have been just battering away um, defensively I think there's been a lot of chat hasn't there about 
Ireland conceding tries out wide and mm. certainly they want to reduce that rate um, and just be a bit more efficient around the ruck in terms of uh, folding, getting guys a little bit more spread out so the wingers aren't left in, in tough positions with, with big decisions to make on the edge. And I think I think they're just going to keep pursuing a, a more aggressive um, defensive mindset, trying to turn the, the defensive sets into actual try scoring opportunities for a guy like Stockdale. Um, you know, if you can force a turnover, put him into space, alarmer as well, guys like that can be can be really lethal. So. I think, yeah, we are being demanding, thinking that they can they can improve a lot of things. But I think they'll have identified those themselves. Can you do a, a, a kind of massive velocity shift in a year? You can't do that, but you can make those little tweaks on kick return, just in how the forwards handle around the, the rocks as well. And I think that would make them an even bigger threat. Uh, a couple of questions here from Instagram. We're giving away a copy of Behind the Lines, number two, the 42's new book in stores now. Dubray Books and uh, on our, our online shop as well. And um, a couple of uh, Connor Murray related questions. At Molden Liam asks, is there a need to use Connor Murray for the New Zealand test or would you rather see uh, a couple of the other scrum halves get game time in a game of that calibre? And then, you know, Rory Fitz has, at Rory Fitz, has a sort of a, a question along similar lines. Is there any benefit to Ireland not showing not showing their full hand against the All Blacks uh, ahead of a uh, potential World Cup showdown, I suppose? Um, we'll start with yourself there, Andy. Um you know, there has been talk, or at least Ireland have sort of refused to rule Conor Murray out definitively. Mm. Some talk from New Zealand as well. Uh, but, like, is it an opportunity maybe to give someone like Kieran Marmion a, a real go of it in, in a, a test like that? Yeah, I, uh, I'd i say there's a little bit of gamesmanship there is going on because Simon Easterby came out and said, you know, we've not ruled out Murray. And I, and, uh, you know, I heard kind of whispers saying, Jesus, uh, you know, he's let that out of the bag. They, they don't do stuff like that with mm. Joe. Like, there's absolutely no way that was an accident. So, um, you know, Easterby's come out and said that. For me, I would love to see Luke or Marmion or even Cooney. Uh, but I think that's the least likely option. Yeah. I, one of those two to get at least 65 minutes starting against the All Blacks. Everybody knows what Murray can do. And yes, he could come back and hit the ground running. He is. He's that unflappable, super fit. Uh, everything looks easy world-leading scrum half. Um, I'm not sure we're going to... I mean, okay, other than he's given us a slightly better chance of winning this game at this particular moment, which, you know, it's you know that's not without its significance. Uh, personally, I would love for this, again, looking at 12 months away from a World Cup, Conor Murray pulls a hamstring in game two and you have guys who haven't really been tested at the call face. I think we've got to be a bit... Um, strategic on that I think Connor I know and everybody else does could probably come in and do a fine job you know not having played in so long against the All Blacks I don't think he's the type to be caught cold the other guys could be caught cold in, in a more testing scenario but on the back of 60-70 minutes against an All Blacks team that would give any player huge confidence Yeah Murray to, to look at Rory Fitz's kind of more broad question do you expect Ireland to show a full hand? I mean, I, I suppose like what Rory uh, would would uh, consider a full hand there is, you know, like things even like set piece moves, um, uh, not necessarily just team selection. Like how much can you really hold back in a game of that calibre? Yeah, I don't think you can hold anything back. You're going to get absolutely opened up. Um, and the kind of cost of that is... Um, your belief levels. I think on the flip side, if you go strong, and I guess this would be the temptation with Conor Murray to go your full strength, get another win over the All Blacks, and just underline to yourselves and to them, I guess that psychologically, psychologically, it's not it's not a big deal for you to to, to beat them. Um, I think to be a massive gain in that department if you if you go out and do that in Dublin, I don't think they're going to hold anything back. Yeah, like sort of certain moves, or I'm sure Joe saves them for years for the the right occasion against the right defence. Um, where it suited that but I, I just can't see them holding anything back I think they've got to go all out and the fact that they're still trying to develop as a team you, you just can't miss you, you have so few tests um, to, to get that uh, cohesion I, I don't think they can hold back We disagreed on something this is great Yeah well <laughs> in which case you, you think if Murray was available that they should start him in order to give themselves the absolute optimal chance of winning yeah, like I was here, like I was here when Simon was talking. Simon Easter was talking about it, and he kind of had a little grin on his face. Um, there's definitely a bit of mind games going on, and I think it's brilliant actually. I, I, Steve Hansen doesn't know now. <laughs> I'm sure he has moles everywhere, but he doesn't know, and I, I, I think it's brilliant that 
Joe Schmidt and his coaching staff have decided to to be a bit mischievous with this and, and kind of put it out there. It's a bit of fun for everyone, mm. I think, talking about it. Um, but look, if he's fit, there's a if he's fit and, and certainly I think we'll probably all talk about oh it's a risk bringing him back in they won't take a risk with him because he's so important if he is ready if he's taken enough contact if he gets a, a run against Argentina or whatever it is then if I was in their shoes I'd, I'd probably start him and I think the, the morale benefits of beating the All Blacks are, are just incredibly high interesting let's see if we can get you to disagree again it's uh, time for your weekly <laughs> prediction slot I don't, I'm not keeping score lads I, I'm finding hard Mer- to care frankly yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am Murray, Murray's winning Murray's winning okay yeah. okay well uh, I think it was Connor yeah it was I think we were texting yeah it was on a Connor. knife edge last week uh, Jack Carty didn't do me any favours <laughs> missing that drop ball oh that's where you were watching I, Bundy at uh, yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was like come on Bundy <laughs> <laughs> alright well we, uh, we'll start so we'll do it in, in chronological order. Let's start with Ulster. They're travelling to Benetton. Andy, you first. Uh, I think Ulster will win by about three points. Not having scored four tries? Not having scored four tries. Murray Kinsella, Ulster away at Benetton. I'm instantly going to disagree. I'll go for Benetton on a two or three point margin. Wow, this is this is this explosive is, this stuff. Is really I can't believe it. Yeah. You know, you get you get these two guys an ocean <laughs> apart and all of a sudden the relationship breaks down. Connacht at home to the Dragons, or, or that's also on Saturday. Uh, Murray, starting with you. Yeah, I'll go for, for Connacht in that one. I think they'll get a, a good, strong, convincing win. Um, so yeah, Connacht for me. I agree with Murray in this instance. Right, okay. Uh, Leinster away at the Kings. Andy? Uh, I think Leinster to to ooh, to win, yeah. To win. Yes. Uh, Murray? <laughs> yeah, I agree on that one again. And Munster away at the Cheetahs, also on Sunday. Yes, I think Munster, two Irish away wins in South Africa. Yeah, that's a, it, it's a tricky one. Cheetahs have kind of ups, uh, scared a few. Um, I think it'll probably be quite a few tries in it, but I do think Munster, yeah, they'll get over the line. So I guess it all comes down to that Benetton-Ulster fixture will... Have to send a few, a few messages during that one. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody's got their fingers crossed for us both. It's an opportunity Snooze. for you to, to tie it up, Andy. Uh, but uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, we'll be on tenterhooks, no doubt about it. Um, that's it. We have to pick a book winner. I'm going to go with at Molden Liam. But uh, that's all we've got time for. Thanks a lot to everybody for listening. And thanks a million for all of your questions as well. Just uh, ahead of next week's pod, we'll be back again on Thursday. But if you do want to send a question, uh, you can do so on Instagram. We'll have it up on our story in that sort of ask me a question thing. And also you can email Heineken Rugby Weekly at the 42.ie for a chance to win a copy of Behind the Lines. Number two, enjoy the rugby over the weekend. Uh, reminder that if you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit HeinekenRugbyClub.com for more. And remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie. Andy Dunn and Murray Kinsella, thanks for your time, gents. And we will chat to you next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.